Open your Bibles to John chapter 2. I know that many of you studied this in Sunday school today, and I'm not going to try to go over a lot of what Carol did so well with her, uh, with her lesson. I just want us to pick up and, and follow along. Again, the theme of water in the Gospel of John, the series is called H2O. Uh, it's just interesting how many different ways uh, and how determined uh, the author of the fourth gospel is to, uh, to keep referring to water and using water. It, it is basic to life. It is, is an element upon which all of life depends. And, and John uses this in an important way to talk about who Jesus is and what Jesus does. In, in chapter 1, as we talked about this morning, it, it, was, it was John at, at the River Jordan and the whole act of his baptizing. And this is going to be important. Remember that John said, I baptize with water, but one comes after me, he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. This double kind of baptism, the idea of being baptized by water and also by spirit, is going to be especially important next Sunday when we get to John chapter 3, when Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be baptized by water, be born again by water and by spirit. This idea of water and spirit going together are important, and we're going to follow that along the way. Into chapter 2, which is the first sign, the first miracle, but I want us to not skip over Chapter 1, verse 51, it's, it's the verse that turns the corner here. And this is what Jesus says as he's talking to Nathaniel. He says in verse 51, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Now Jesus is using uh, an image, an Old Testament reference actually. What's he calling to mind when he talks about a stairway to heaven, a stairway from heaven? Yeah, Jacob in his dream where he saw a, a, a stairway, a, a ramp, so to speak, that linked heaven and earth and the angels of God were, were going up and down. Jesus says something amazing here. He says, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on On the Son of Man. Yeah, Jesus is talking about himself here, and he says, you're going to see heaven open and angels going up and down. And what's the connection? Who is the ladder? It's Jesus himself. It's a rather amazing claim, but he says, I myself, I am that ladder, that connection. You're going to see heaven open and the power of heaven burst and, and, and explode upon the earth, and it's going to happen through me, through, through the Son of Man. That's interesting and very important for, for the Gospel of John as we see what follows. You all may remember several years ago, back when Barbara and Jimmy lived on Three Springs Road there, right by the road. Uh, Y'all remember the day that Jimmy was cleaning out his gutters up on top of the roof and his ladder fell? Have y'all heard that story? Jimmy's on top of the roof and, and, and the ladder fell down. And so what did Jimmy do? I mean, the only thing he could do. The, the house is pretty close to the road, so Jimmy just stood up on his roof and just kind of tried to flag down cars. As cars would go by, he would, he would, you know, people were probably thinking that he was worshiping and praising the Lord, but actually he was asking for help, just trying to flag down somebody. I would give a kidney out of my body to have seen that personally. I would just love to have seen <laughs> Jimmy up there. Actually, I believe it was an older couple, wasn't it? that finally saw Jimmy up there begging for help. They pulled over, they came, and they put the ladder back in place. And see, that's the kind of picture that Jesus gives for himself. This is what Jesus does. Jesus puts the ladder back in place. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Do you understand? Jesus is that connection between us and God, between heaven and earth. And Jesus makes a promise right here before we go into chapter 2. 
He says, you're going to see heaven open, you're going to see heaven come down, and you're going to see that happening through me. He, he is that ladder. Now understand, in the Gospel of John, there are miracles, as in the other Gospels, but John doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs, signs. Now, we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about God doing something supernatural in the natural world. God's doing something that couldn't happen any other way except by his divine intervention. That's a miracle. But John calls it a sign. Why does he choose to call it a sign? What's he trying to say? What's a sign do? If you're heading out 240 and about to get across over the, the hill there, you'll see a, a, a sign that says railroad crossing. It's just a sign. Is the sign the railroad? No. What's the sign do, though? It points to the railroad. Yeah. So when John calls these, these acts of Jesus, these acts of God signs, he's actually trying to get you to understand that these point towards something else. These point beyond themselves. That, that They point honestly back to Christ. They point to the fact that in Jesus, heaven is opening and the very power of God is now unleashed uh, to, to work in the natural world. It, it's just beautiful. And the first one of those signs happens in chapter 2 uh, at all places at, at a wedding. This is fun stuff. Let's read the first 12 verses and then we'll talk a little bit and see what God has for us tonight. Now, the first three words of the New Living Translation uh, are, are not translated well, to be honest. It says the next day, but if you look down in your text notes, if your Bible says the next day, actually, what does the Greek say there? Yeah, the third day or three days later, and that's going to be important in a moment. So understand that we're talking about three days later. There was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Sitting nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water, that was now wine. Not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. Yeah, let's stop there. I wanted to point out the way John counts days because I happen to think it's kind of important and, and really neat. Uh, he, he counts days, and it's interesting because he wouldn't have to do that. But, but let's go back and count days with them. Uh, that first day, it seems, it starts at about verse 19 because when we get to verse 29, it says what? Verse 29 says, 
the, the next day. So John starts counting down days. He, he has day one from 19 to verse 28, then verse 29, the next day. And then when we get to verse 35, we have the next day, the, the, the following day, that's day three, then verse 43, the next day. So we got four days, and then the wedding at Cana happens three days later. Okay, how many days? Yeah, John rather carefully counts off a week for us. Why? It just seems odd, unless he really means to teach us something here. Why count down seven days? Go back with me, where we were this morning, the, the very first verse. What's it say? In the beginning. Yeah. Remember, John is starting his, his gospel in a very different way. Uh, the other gospel writers would start with Bethlehem. But he doesn't start with Bethlehem. He starts with creation. He starts with Genesis. He says, in the beginning. And he knows that you know the book of Genesis. He knows that when he uses those words, everybody goes back to Genesis. So John knows exactly what he's doing here. He knows exactly what he's doing. So he says, in the beginning. And notice how he continues to play off everything that, that you find in Genesis. Remember Jesus uh, in, in Genesis, God says, let there be Light And John says in verse 5, the, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So you see, John is playing off of what you know about Genesis. And what you know about Genesis is that God created everything that there is in, in, in a seven-day week with the last day being a, a day of rest. So if John is trying to recall Genesis in that way, and if he sets up this first week and involves on that last day, that day seven, the first time Jesus reveals his glory, what's he saying? What's he saying? There's something complete, but what's God doing in Jesus? He goes back to Genesis it almost has a new kind of creation story that culminates in Christ. What's John trying to say? It's a new creation. God is doing something new in creation. This is a new creation, and this time everything culminates in Christ. Three days later, the seventh day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Now, again, we are always taught that that the, the disciple John wrote the gospel of John. We don't know a whole lot about John, the son of Zebedee, except that at the cross, Jesus did something interesting pertaining to Mary and John. Remember what he did? Yeah, he asked John to take Mary home as his mother and, and take care of her. It's really interesting that if John is the author of this gospel, he's never really very friendly with Mary. He never uses her name and he really doesn't include any kind of details that he would have learned from living with this woman. It's just interesting as we try to piece together who the beloved disciple might be. It's one of the puzzles that John, who would know Mary so well, doesn't even use her name as he tells the stories of Jesus. Just a, just a small thing. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the, say the word, celebration. Jesus and his disciples were invited to the celebration. Okay, when you hear the word celebration, what do you picture? Go ahead, you guys tell me, because y'all do more celebrating than anybody else. What do you picture, Drew Tingle, man? You are a party waiting to happen. What's a celebration look like? 
big party, big party. Big guy says, big party. What's the celebration look like? Man, I was afraid y'all wouldn't know. <laughs> There's music. Yeah. What kind of music? Elevator music? Yeah. Dancing. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, you guys. Dancing music. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Rock of Ages is good, but that's not party music. It's not party music. Yeah. Probably music that kind of makes you want to move. It's a celebration, and there's honestly a lot of dancing here. This lasts for a week. It's a week-long celebration. I know that you like to get home and watch the news. You would not have had a good time at this. It lasted for a week. Nobody has any place else to go. It is just going to be a week-long party. Can you even imagine? You guys have to be in at 10.30, but we're talking about a party that lasts for days and days and days. It literally doesn't end day after day. And the whole community, everybody's invited. This is awesome. Y'all aren't getting excited about this at, 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 at all. Have you ever been to something that much fun? Some of us uh, went to Nick Rigdon's going away party that the Rigdon's had at their house. That was actually about as close as we come to a real thing. But I remember that we got there and the Rigdon's had an itty-bitty dance floor out there in their yard. And some of you almost needed medication right then. <laughs> there was a dance floor yeah, yeah, that was empty for the longest time. For the longest time, nobody would get out and dance. Why is that? Why wouldn't we dance? Well, we're all Baptists. I, I, I kind of want to dance, but you're all Baptists. You know, what will you say if, if we dance? What broke the party loose, y'all remember? <laughs> Faye Lawrence. I say Faye Lawrence broke it loose. Y'all know Faye Lawrence? <laughs> Faye Lawrence. And honestly, Faye and this whole just posse of old women, <laughs> like old women, no offense, any of you, Nancy, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, these women, and I'm thinking, God help them, they're going to slip a hip. They just go popping out there, just go, I mean, Faye Lawrence, and Faye Lawrence is looking over her shoulder, and it's like, ha, 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 I mean, she don't care. I don't know what happened to Faye, I thought she's Nazarene. I thought that they were more uptight than, than we are. Billy, what happened to your mama? And those ladies out there just, I mean, their hairdos just bobbing. They just danced and danced. And what did that tell the rest of us? It must be okay. It ain't pretty, but it's okay. Yeah. Then the, the second big moment is when Don Harris went out. Have y'all seen Don Harris dance? Once you see it, you can never unsee it. It's just burned in your brain. Dad dances like, like he's climbing something. <laughs> it's just the neatest thing. It's just the neatest thing. I don't know what this is, uh, but it's just cool. And it's not even the rhythm. Uh, but it's just, he just climbs. It was just fun. It, 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 it was just fun. There was this incredible celebration, and Jesus and the disciples were invited. How do you picture that? Jesus and the disciples. Because I know what y'all are thinking. Y'all are thinking there's a big party happening somewhere else, but Jesus and the disciples kind of sat over here in, in like a deacon's meeting for seven days. They kind of sat over here and talked. 
You know, they maybe, you know, had a cup of coffee every now and then, but they just sort of had a meeting because you really can't picture Jesus going at it, can you? You cannot picture Jesus enjoying himself. And I want you to understand, your inability to, to imagine the joy of Jesus says more about you than it does about Jesus. Do you understand? I want you to understand something. Jesus would have been the life of that party. If the scripture teaches us anything else, it is that Jesus is the life of not just this party, he's the life of every party. He is life itself. He is joy itself. If you can't see him dancing and singing and laughing, if you can't see him just simply enjoying the fellowship of everybody else, if you just can't see him being one of us, you're missing the whole point of everything John has said to this point. The word became flesh and made his home with us. He's completely at home with us. Jesus would be completely at home on the dance floor with Faye Lawrence and Don Harris. Jesus would be at home there. If you can't imagine that, it says something about the poverty of your imagination. Jesus is life. He's joy. And we as Christians seem never to understand that. We seem to go out into the world determined to poop every party out there. And how in the world can we reflect such a joyous Savior when we just don't have that much joy? It's hard to get us to celebrate. Why would the world want to come in and get what we have when honestly we don't seem to be enjoying it very much? We should be the most joyous people on the planet. Our sins are forgiven. Our name is written in the book of life. We have eternity in heaven. My goodness, we could start a party now and it never has to end. Because our joy has no end. Our joy has no limits. What's wrong with us? Why are we so sour? Why are we so hesitant simply to enjoy ourselves and enjoy life? There was a celebration, and Jesus and his disciples were there. Get over it. They were there enjoying it, enjoying it. But the wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him that they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. I'm trusting that you're going to read through the Gospel of John with me in the next few weeks. Start watching for that phrase because that's important. Jesus will continue to say, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And then his time comes. And you won't believe what happens when Jesus knows his time has come. It's not what you're thinking. His time finally comes. Pay attention to this phrase, my time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Okay, that's just sort of epic weirdness there. What kind of relationship is this between a, a, a son and his mother? Is Jesus rude to her? Does he brush her off? Does he say, mind your own business, you old bag? I mean, what is he saying here? Because it, it sounds strange to us. What's he saying? Is this a healthy conversation? Yeah. I don't know what exactly to make of the exchange. I, I bet it's abbreviated. I bet they said more than, than John records here. I, I, I'm sure that they did. But whatever you make of it, at the end of it, Mary is completely confident that Jesus is going to take care of this. 
Now, when I read it, I'm not sure what Jesus said, but Mary is completely at, at peace, totally confident that Jesus is going to take care of it. Now, she doesn't know what he's going to do. She just knows he's going to do his thing. Now, as Carol pointed out in the lesson today, it was beautiful. Jesus is not known as a miracle worker. This is his first sign. I don't know exactly what leads Mary to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, it's time for you to do something. And Jesus says, my time has not yet come. Mary somehow knows that he's going to take care of this. What's the key, though? Notice the key here. She is completely sure that he's going to take care of it. And it's amazing. Verse 5, she tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. Yeah. There's just a lesson here for us in prayer. There's a lesson in, in, in the miracle that you're praying for and, and expecting. There's a lesson here in when we go to Jesus, how we should expect him to answer us. It, it's, just, it, it's just packed here. She goes to Jesus. He doesn't seem to promise anything, and yet she's completely, completely trusting he's going to take care of it. She doesn't know what he'll do. She doesn't seem to presume to imagine what he'll do. She just knows that it's in his hands. You know, you and I should pray like that. That's more the way we should pray. When I go to Jesus, I tell him my problem. I usually also have a step-by-step plan of how I want him to fix it for me. I go to Jesus, and I don't really so much ask him to help me. I just sort of tell him what I want him to do today. You understand? I go to Jesus not just with problems, but I go with solutions. Mary just goes with the problem, and she just gives it to him. She just trusts him. You and I need to just trust him. We go to Jesus in full confidence that he's going to answer us, but we can't ever presume to know how he'll answer his, his ability to answer prayer is far beyond our ability to pray. And I don't ever want to limit Jesus by, by having him only do what I ask him to do. I, I always want him to do what he knows is best. Mary just trusts. She doesn't tell him what to do. She doesn't presume to know what he'll do. But she just knows that once she's put that before Jesus, he's going to take care of it. But, but there's one little piece. It's the piece that comes next. It's the do whatever he tells you piece. And, and that's where we often drop out to. There's an obedience here. Do you understand? Jesus does this miracle, and, and it is his power, that this one who unleashes the very power of heaven into the natural world. Jesus is the one who does that. But notice this long chain of people who have to do exactly what he says. Jesus does all of this, this incredible miracle, more or less behind the scenes, to the point that at the end, nobody has any idea that it's Jesus who's behind this. It it all involved the very deliberate, obedient actions of a whole string of servants. You, You see that? My hunch is much of what Jesus wants to do in our world, the way God wants to unleash his power in our church. It probably has to do with a long string of obedient servants. And at whatever point we stop doing whatever he tells us is the point when his power ceases to move among us. Does that make sense? At whatever point we cease to obey, that flow of power ceases. You do whatever he tells you, and that's how he works. About this whole behind-the-scenes business, this is the part that that is sort of interesting. 
whenever we experience a miracle, we are trained to give God the glory. You know, tonight I said, who's got a good reason to praise God? And, and, and hopefully hands just go up. We love to praise God. But it's interesting, in Scripture, more often than not, when God does something big, when there's a miraculous intervention in the life of an individual, pay attention. In Scripture, very often the instruction is, don't tell anybody. There's this way in which Jesus works behind the scenes here, and honestly, it's more of a pattern than you realize. There's this sense that it's, it's not intended for everybody, everybody to know. Why does God work that way? I mean, if truly heaven is opening and the power of God is now being unleashed in this man, Jesus, why don't we trumpet that? Why, do, why doesn't Jesus step out and call everybody to attention and ask the DJ to turn off the music and, and ask everybody to step back? And I mean, he could make a big show of this and he could maybe make followers of the entire, entire community. He purposely chooses to do it in a way where nobody's going to know that it's his power, except the disciples who were there watching. Why is it that way? Why is it that so often God's greatest blessings in our lives are, are kind of anonymous? There was a woman named April who was new in her job and really was anxious to make friends, but she wasn't good at making friends, but she was good at baking so this is what she decided to do. Her desk sat exactly across from the break room. And so she went home that night and she made this big platter of homemade donuts. I don't know how you would, I, I thought Krispy Kreme was homemade donuts. But she made donuts at home and she brought them in the next day still warm. This gigantic platter of homemade donuts still warm. She put them in the break room, and her desk was right there across. And that was her way. It was just her way of, of, of reaching, to trying to reach out and make friends with the whole office. What do you think happened? The boss was first. He walked into the break room. What did he say? Donuts. Yeah. He put one on each finger and left. Next person comes in. What do they say? Donuts. Yeah, they, they, they get a handful of donuts. You like donuts, Stephen? Yeah, me too. Got a handful of donuts, went, went back to her desk. And, and April sat there all day long and watched people come up. And they would go up and say, wow, donuts, homemade donuts. And they would enjoy them. April sat there all day long. And at the end of the day, she was lonelier than ever. What happened that day as that platter emptied? And she took it home. What, what didn't happen that day? It's the same thing that didn't happen at the wedding at Cana. What didn't happen? Nobody ever stopped to say, where did these donuts come from? Where did these donuts come from? You see, that's the deal with the caterer at the wedding. He, he is allowed to take the very first drink. He gets to take the first drink of it. This was wine that just a few moments ago was water. It's a miracle. And he takes that glass and he swirls it. And then he takes a sip and he swishes. And he says, that's the best wine I've ever tasted. That's the best wine I've ever tasted. And everyone at the party continued to drink. But nobody ever asks, 
Where did this wine come from? Where did this come from? Do you understand how very different the story would be if anybody had ever just asked, where, where did this come from? Do you understand how different your life would be if every time you experience a miracle, every time you experience one of God's wonderful blessings, do you not understand how different your life would be every time you get up and you find a platter of goodness before you, if you would just stop and say, where did this come from? I don't deserve this. Where did this come from? Because you see, all of these blessings, these miracles, they are signs. They are intended to point you back to the giver of all good things. You and I are just like the steward at this wedding who, who tastes this miraculous wine. He's smart enough to know that it's the best he's ever had, but he's not smart enough to wonder where, where it came from. But the disciples knew. And what does the scripture say? This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him remember these things are written so that you might believe and believing have life and power in his name the gospel of john you'll continue to see people who experience christ and they come to believe and believing they find life and power in his name any final thoughts anything yeah claude Yeah, obviously John has made a choice. This is not a miracle that's included in the other Gospels. He wants people to see and experience this first sign, that this first display of Jesus' glory. Yeah, it's important. Yeah. Donna, are you going to speak? Yeah, he sure does. Jesus often said the kingdom of God is like leaven that you put in a lump of dough and it starts small and it spreads. Jesus always talked about the kingdom as being something small that, that takes over. Yeah, it starts small and grows. Yeah, person to person. Yeah. Anything else? Anyone else? Yeah, Nancy. Yeah, remember John has said, we beheld his glory. He says that in the prologue, and this is where he says, the disciples, this is the first time they got to see him reveal his glory. Yeah. Wow, I love reading the Bible with you all. I just love reading scriptures with you. Uh, let's uh, be dismissed with prayer. Ken, did you have something?
They will taste and discover for themselves, won't they? Yeah, sure. The running out of wine at a random wedding seems small to us, but there is nothing too small to, uh, to take to the Lord. He cares. Yeah. Um, let's stand. Let's be dismissed tonight. Was there another song, Andrew? Okay. Let's be dismissed then. Don't forget you have homework. You have a postcard in your hand. Please, please don't let me find it on the pew. Uh, someone is counting on you, and you've agreed to pray for someone. So take that home Pray for that person. Write a, a short note. There's not a lot of room to, to write the you know, Declaration of Independence. This has got to be small. Just write a, a note of encouragement. Send that back. Uh, you can staple a $100 bill to it if you want to, but that is not required. The encouragement that we can offer one another is priceless. Uh, so let's do that for one another. We need more of this. Uh, Kenton Powell this uh, past week sent a really nice note to Rick Strait. Um, actually, Kenton was trying to send a note to his wife, Rhonda. And so he got his phone and texted. This is why adults shouldn't be allowed to text. Kenton, Kenton texted, I just want to say I love you. And then he went to the R's for Rhonda to send it to Rhonda, but he hit Rick instead. So he sent Rick Strait a note that said, I just want to say I love you. Yeah. Isn't that neat? Y'all know Rick Strait? What happened next? Yeah, Rick Strait is like the only man in the world who's like, I love you too, brother. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah, yeah. Please don't tell Rick that that was intended for Rhonda. He has no idea. But Rhonda Kenton was thinking about you once this week. Yeah. We, we, we need more of that. Accidentally or on purpose, we, we need more, more love shared among us. Uh, let's be dismissed with prayer. before. The, are the ladies dancing? Is that what, are the old ladies breaking out and dancing? Is that what's happening? Let's be dismissed with, with prayer together. Brother Don Kirby, would you dismiss us tonight, please, with a word of prayer?